welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord. So last Sunday, Gabe gave this uh, excellent message on Romans 6 and about how God frees us from, uh, from slavery to sin. And this morning, we're going to see one of the ways God frees us from the grip of sin, and that's through suffering. And guys, suffering is a really important topic. I mean, we're all going to endure all sorts of things. And our culture seems to have a very low threshold for pain, doesn't it? Very low threshold for pain. And I feel it myself. I feel like I have a very low threshold for pain. And, uh, and, and it's no wonder, because when we look at our culture, our culture offers us almost no resources for dealing with hardship. You know, you think about the last time you had to endure some great suffering or hardship with a, with a group of unbelievers, and, and just the thinness that our culture has given them, it's given us for dealing with suffering. But thankfully, the scriptures are very rich in resources for sufferers. And uh, what we want to look at this morning, let's look first at the suffering that these Christians were enduring. If you don't have a Bible with you, just Google ESV Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, ESV. If you Google that, you can follow along. You're going to want to follow along because I'm going to be like, hey, look at this. You're going to be like, look at what? You know? So, all right, here we go. So first, let's look at what kind of suffering these Christians were enduring. We get a little hint of it in verse 3. Take a look at it. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. That seems to imply that whatever they're dealing with, part of it is they're getting hostility from sinners. This is confirmed in verse 4 where he says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That implies that they're dealing with persecution. That persecution has is, is not resulted in them being martyred. It says, yet, kind of ominous, right? And we know from chapter 10 that these believers had been publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and they'd had their property taken, and some were imprisoned. And so there was such an intense suffering of persecution here, and there was a hint of more on the way. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this part because he's concerned that that suffering might cause them to drift away from the Lord. That's his concern here. And so he gives them a way to think about their persecution, and it might be a surprise to you, 
at what he says. He says that their persecution is actually God disciplining them. Take a look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. He's saying that their suffering at the hands of these hostile unbelievers is actually God's discipline. And you might ask, well, okay, you know, discipline can mean a bunch of things, right? It can mean something more like training. It can mean something more like correction or punishment. Does this mean that, that God was somehow correcting them for specific sins? You might wonder, you know, like, okay, if God's disciplining them with this hardship, is it because they've committed some particular sin? Well, the Greek word there for discipline is paideia. It's from where we get things like uh, pediatrics. It's, uh, it's a word that has to do with parenting. And as you know, parenting can include both teaching and correction. So what is it with these people? Are they being corrected for some sin or are they being trained? God can use suffering in both ways. Um, I heard this example I thought was really helpful. You know, if you see a coach making his team run laps that are quite painful and quite difficult, it could be two things, right? It could be they relate to practice, right? And they're being corrected. Or it could be just a part of making them stronger, a stronger team. Which is it? Which was it for these people? Well, you know, a really simple way to know in your own life is to ask the question, am I currently in any unrepentant sin? Because I think a lot of times when people suffer, they assume that God's correcting them for something. That's kind of a knee-jerk thing. But I think the question we need to ask is, am I currently in some unrepentant sin? If the answer is yes, then God could be using hardship to discipline you, to correct you. But guys, I want you to be clear on this. It would be something obvious, you know? It's going to be something clear. It's going to be something that you're just refusing to repent of. God's not going to play games with you where he's correcting you on some sin that you're not sure what it is, and you got to go looking for it, and it's very confusing. You have to guess at it. That's not it. It would be something obvious. And so if you get asked that question this morning, you know, am I in some unrepentant sin? It's possible that God, if you say yes, it's possible that God is using hardship to free you from that. And if that's you, I just want to plead with you this morning, make it easy on yourself and repent right away. Because the Lord never uses more force than is necessary to like free us from the grip of sin, but he will use any force that's necessary. And this is his grace, right? This is his love. He only disciplines kids that are his. You know, you receive God's discipline for sin and his correction because you're his kid. He doesn't go around disciplining people that aren't his kids, just like you guys don't, do you? You just go around and discipline other people's kids? You don't, right? Look at verse 8. It says, If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This is really a powerful way that God loves us. Actually, the worst thing God could do is to let somebody go in their sin. You know? To just let somebody go in their sin and not discipline them. Uh, Romans 1 talks about how God has many times given unbelievers over to their sin. He says he just lets them go in their sin. He says, if you want your sin, if that's what you want, you can have it. And that's actually the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. The theological term for that is God's passive wrath. His active wrath is the wrath you think of of judgment and stuff like that. His passive wrath is to just let somebody go in their sin. But we who are Christians, guys, God never does that with us. We never get away with anything, do we? Have you guys noticed that, you know, as believers? You don't get away with anything. Did any of you guys have growing up, did you have a, a parents that like always caught you? How many of you guys had those parents? It was like they had like, 
you know, some crazy superpower to catch you. And like anytime you try to do something, your friends, you know, could get away with it. And then you try it and it's just like not happening, right? That's the way it is with us and our Heavenly Father, is we don't get away with anything. Through his amazing love, he frees us from the grip of sin. And he does that sometimes through discipline, through suffering. And, uh, and it's a severe mercy, isn't it? But it's mercy. You know, how many of you guys in your lives as Christians, um, God has used some severe mercy to free you from the grip of sin? That you were like going down that road, you were indulging in that thing, and all you found is that as you tried to pursue that sin, pursue that lust, pursue whatever else, it was like you were walking through a hedge of rose bushes. <laughs> there was like no way to get to it because of all the suffering involved. How many of you guys have experienced that? How many of you guys are so thankful God didn't let you go? You know, you just have this sense of like, it was brutal, but praise God, he freed me from that sin and he didn't let me go away. So if you're wondering if your suffering is God's discipline for some particular sin, ask, am I in unrepentant sin? Now, if the answer is no, you have to assume it's training, not correction, okay? It's training, not correction. You didn't do anything wrong. This is adversity that God is bringing to make you more like Christ. In fact, the word in verse 11 that's trained is the word gymnazo, where we get gymnastics, gymnasts. And God can use suffering to correct us for sins that we won't let go of. But God can also, and very frequently, is using um, suffering to, to train us, to make us more like Christ. You didn't do anything wrong. He's just training you. That's what happened with Job, right? Job had a whole lot of suffering brought into his life, but it was training. You remember how his friends, they thought it was correction, right? And so they're saying to Job, they're like, oh, there must be something in there. And he's like, no, seriously, I looked. He's like, no, 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 this wouldn't be happening to you unless God was correcting some sort of thing in your life. And he's like, no, 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 it's not, the whole book's like that, right? And they're like, you better look a little deeper. Don't do that to sufferers, by the way. You know, it's so easy for us to assume that that's what's going on. Don't do that to yourself, by the way, right? If you've looked for some sin and it's not there and you're going through suffering, it's training, you know, God's crafting your soul to make it more like Christ. Don't, don't keep drilling yourself the way Job's friends were. So if it's training, it's a call not to repentance, but endurance. And I think that's mostly what's going on in this passage. I used to think that this was all a passage about just correcting people that were in sin. But the more I look at it, the more I think that a lot of the suffering he's talking about here is training suffering, not correctional suffering. Why do I say that? Well, look at the text. Look at the commands in the text. They're not commands to repent. They're commands to endure. Isn't that interesting? You'd think if like, they were in unrepentant sin and God was bringing this discipline because of that, he'd be like, so stop it, and it'll stop. You know? But that's not what you see. Look at the commands. They're commands to endure. Look at verse 3. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What's that a command to? To endure. Or drop down at the end. The commands in 12 and 13, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful picture of like endure, trust the Lord, you know, keep going. If he was correcting them for a specific sin, you'd think they'd be commands to repent, but they're commands to encourage. They're encouraging commands. And he's concerned, guys, that these people, as they're suffering persecution, might just give up. Suffering can do that, right? I mean, I think we all know, maybe even in our own lives or maybe in the lives of people we know, where suffering, affliction, hardship actually caused the person to drift away from the Lord. 
And it can happen in a couple of ways. He quotes Proverbs 3. Take a look at verse 5. He quotes Proverbs 3, and he shows two ways that suffering can cause us to drift from the Lord. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So there's two ways that we could you know, endure some suffering and, and drift from the Lord. The first one is to regard his discipline lightly. What would that be? That would be like becoming hardened by it, becoming cynical, right? Becoming just kind of stoic, kind of pushing the Lord away, you know, walling ourselves off from him, right? Becoming more cynical and just hardened against the Lord as if to say, like, now you can't hurt me anymore, Lord. I'm going to kind of push you over here. I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore, right? That would be to regard it lightly. Or we can be weary by it. You know, weariness would be just, you just collapse under it. You're just like, I can't take anymore. You just fall apart. How about you guys? You know, are you weighed down with hardship so that you just don't feel like you take another step? You know, are, are you so hurt that you're starting to wall yourself off from the Lord to kind of protect yourself from suffering? And it might happen through chronic sickness or physical pain or, you know, mental health struggles, um, a death financial fears, financial hardship, uh, disappointments in relationships, loneliness. You're just like so beat down by suffering that you feel like you're either hardening up or you're collapsing, you know? We've been through a lot of suffering as a church the last year, a lot. And some of you guys know like some of that suffering, but if you knew even more about each other here, you'd realize it's like unbearable when you add it all up. I mean, I was thinking, adding it, I'm like, oh, then there, there was that, and there was this, and, and some of that is ongoing. It's like the most I've ever seen, you know? And I just think it's so merciful for the Lord this morning to come to us with these words, you know? I mean, we were going to go back into Hebrews, and, um, you know, either way, but I was prepping it this week, and I was just thinking about... Um, I was thinking about Darnell, and uh, I didn't mean to bring him up, but uh, I was thinking about him this week because this next Saturday is the anniversary of his, of his death, and uh, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do a text on suffering, <laughs> you know? Like, I just don't want to do this right now, you know? And, uh, but it's God's providence, right? Like, this is what we need. And so the Lord meets us here this morning with these words, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And then verse 12, so beautiful, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the path for your feet that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Isn't that just like the Lord? Like he meets us in our discouragement and he encourages us with, with these words. And he doesn't just tell us, keep going. He wants to like reason with us. He shows us in this text his heart for you and his plan for you, even in your pain. And guys, we need to hear this because you know this. The enemy loves to get in our heads when we're hurting, doesn't he? I mean, the devil's always busy, but the devil's real busy when we're suffering, right? And he wants to get in our heads and he wants to make us suspicious of the Lord, doesn't he? Don't you get suspicious? He wants to make you suspicious. Well, maybe God's angry with you, or maybe he's abandoned you, or, or maybe this suffering's just like senseless. There's just really no point to any of this, right? In this text, it's so cool because the Lord takes direct aim at those suspicions. 
He takes an aim at the suspicion of it, that it's God's anger or abandonment. I mean, we feel that way, don't we? Some people do. When they, when they suffer, they'll start to feel like, oh, maybe this is I'm getting what I deserve, you know? Maybe I'm being punished, you know? Maybe, maybe he's angry at me, or, or maybe he's done with me. Maybe he's just had it. And fair enough, I'm a pain, you know? Like, if he's done, fair enough, right? You get that sense of, like, he's had it with us, right? And, um, and that's something the enemy would love for us to think, you know, he'd love for you to think, like, oh, see, you know, he's got a grace, yeah, but you used it up. He's left you. He's done, right? And to that suspicion, look at what the Lord says in verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he what? Loves, and he chastises every son whom he what? Receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as what? Sons. Isn't that exactly against the suspicion that we have? You know, our suspicion that he's angry or he's abandoned us, the Lord says, no, 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 I've adopted you and I love you. It's actually just the opposite. And uh, it's really a reminder of the gospel because the gospel is about adoption, right? If you're in Christ, the Father not only has forgiven you, but he's adopted you. You know, when you have faith in Christ, you got united to Christ, you're in him, and you're in him such that you enjoy everything that Jesus has. Isn't that cool? So I'll, I'll back up. When you trusted in Christ, you became in Christ, and you receive all the things Jesus has, including his relationship with the Father. This is, by the way, why it calls you guys sons. Some of you ladies are like, this is weird. It's awkward for me, okay? The reason why the New Testament uses specifically the word son is because when you came to Christ, got united with Christ, got a relationship with God, you didn't get a brand new relationship with God. You got Jesus's relationship with the Father, You've entered into the relationship of love which he has had with the Father from all eternity. Isn't that amazing? And that's why he calls all of us sons of God, whether men or women, boys or girls. It's not sexist, right? It's not sexist any more than to call the church the bride of Christ is sexist. Okay, so if you ladies feel like it's kind of awkward to be called a son, think about us guys. You know, we're working through it. It's a beautiful image. It is really like something that really speaks to our souls, but after a little thought, right? After a little thought. It's a beautiful image, but it's something that, you know, takes some wrestling. The reason why we're called sons of God is because we actually have received this relationship, which is his sonship. Isn't that amazing? It's not some relationship you started with the Lord, and you got to be real sure to, like, maintain this thing, keep this thing going, don't let this thing break, you know? This is an eternal relationship God's had with his Father that we're invited into, and so there's no way, guys, if you're suffering right now, there is no way, even if you're being corrected, there is no way he's abandoned you. And there is no way that he has wrath for you because you're in Christ. The Father has actually the exact same affection and love for you that he has for his son, Jesus. And it doesn't go up and down because it's based on Christ, not you. And so you, you may have had a stellar week of devotions, quiet times. Maybe like, oh, he really loves me now. Nope. The same. The same as he loves Christ. And if you totally blew it this way, it's the same love. Isn't that amazing? Don't you need to hear that? He loves us like he loves Christ. We're in him. And in your suffering, God has definitely not abandoned you. He has adopted you. He's definitely not angry with you. He has full affection for you. He's made us his sons. He's treating us as sons. Now that opens up a question like, okay, well, how can this be love? Because this is painful right? When you suffer, how can this be love? This is painful. And that gets to the second suspicion. If the first one was we question his love for us, um, this one is we question his wisdom. 
you know? We're suspicious that this suffering might be senseless. Don't you feel that way? Especially when you have some great suffering. You're like, there's no point to this. That's our immediate thought, right? What good could come from this? You know, this is not helpful in any way. And uh, by the way, guys, if, if your worldview is that you believe there is no God, then your suffering is absolutely senseless, okay? So if there is no God, your suffering, I can guarantee you, is 100% senseless, right? Because there's no intelligence behind it to give it any meaning, right? You know, our culture likes to say things like, well, I just know everything happens for a reason. How could that be if there's no God? Like, by what mechanism? Who's running this? Who's making sure it means anything? Who's making sure it all turns out for good, right? You need a God to do that. And so our second suspicion is that somehow our suffering is senseless. You know, if the first one's the question is love, this one's the question is wisdom. What does he say to that? He says in this text that God, our Father, is wiser than us. That should be obvious, but it's not. Verse 9. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Isn't that beautiful? You know? He's saying, like, God is your Father. He's wiser than you. One thing that kids should know but don't often know, they forget, is that their parents are wiser than them, right? You know, think of the four-year-old that is absolutely certain that they know how the world works and how it should work better than you, right? Then in 48 months of existence, they have come to understand this whole place so much better than you have, right? Guys, we are that kid when it comes to our Heavenly Father, except we're thinking in 48 years we figured it all out, right? Instead of 48 months. Guys, we assume, this is so true for me, I assume that if I can't see a reason for my suffering, there must not be any. How about you guys? If you can't see a reason for it, there must not be any. But guys, if we have a God who is wise enough to make all of this, he's wise enough to have reasons for our suffering that we can't understand. Not just that we don't know, that we can't understand, right? I mean, if you take the four-year-old and the adult and you think, man, there's a huge gap there, right, of knowledge and wisdom, Okay, this is God. <laughs> this, is, this is an infinite gap. I mean, if we have a God wise enough to create all of this, we have a God that's wise enough to have reasons we can't understand. And I'll tell you guys, I have no idea why he's allowed the suffering he allows. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like as a pastor, I'm supposed to know, <laughs> you know, which is a ridiculous burden to put on yourself. That Somehow you have to be God's spokesman and explain, well, you know, what he's really doing is, you know, don't do that, guys. Don't try that. That's not our place, right? I have no idea why God allows the suffering he does because I'm just a kid, and you're just a kid too, right? He's wiser than us. But guys, like Dostoevsky said, I believe like a child that all suffering will be healed and made up for. I believe it like a child. Do you believe it like a child? I believe it like a child. And he's wiser than our fathers. That's the second thing he says. He's wiser than our fathers. Look at verse 10. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. There's no true verse in the world. But he disciplines us for our good. I love this passage. As seemed best to them. Guys, a lot of times parents are just randomly trying things on their kids. Right? It's a secret. You know, maybe you didn't know that. You know, how many of you parents like just randomly tried things on your kids? A lot. You know, you just like threw everything you could at them because you were so desperate. Anything that came to mind, 
and you even tried things that like your parents did that you said you'd never do because it was so objectively insane. And there you are doing it, right? Because you're desperate and it came to mind and like, well, if it came to mind and I need a solution, this will work, you know? And how many of you kids have had a random things tried on you? Right? Some of the same people, right? Yeah. We hand it down, you know? As it's just so wild. It's so wild that like, it's so wild it's, that the human race's survival depends on like amateurs, you know, the worst kind of amateurs. It's insane, right? As I was meditating, I'm like, this is a bad idea. You know, that like the, each new children would be raised by people that objectively don't know what they're doing. When I was at the hospital, I'm like, so we got brand new Mason, brand new baby. And uh, they're like, do you have a car seat? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, that's all you need. <laughs> to take a soul with you like, home and craft it into something. It's insane. So anyway, our Heavenly Father isn't haphazard like our earthly fathers were. And thank, thank God for that. He's not haphazard, right? He's wise. What is wisdom? God's wisdom is the fact that God chooses the best possible goals for us and the best possible route to those goals. God's wisdom is the fact that he chooses the best possible goal for us, and he takes the best possible route there. Because a lot of us are no problem with the goal, but the route we question. You know, we're backseat drivers. We're like, this is not the right way to get there, you know? I remember when I was in Mongolia, we were like cruising from one county to the next, and I'm looking at the map. I'm like, you guys are going the wrong way. That's very American, right? Like... <laughs> Like, I know about this place. <laughs> it's my first day here. But God knows the best possible route for us and the best possible goal. And he, even the darkest valleys is taking us for our good. So what's the good he has in mind? Look at verse 10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Isn't that amazing? He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The good that he's disciplining us towards is to share in his holiness. And you guys might go like, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like something God would do. But think about it. God's holiness is what? God's holiness is that he's set apart from us, right? And he's not just set apart from us in that he's sinless and we're sinful. He's set apart from us in that all of his goodness and all of his attributes are totally unlike us, okay? So it's not just that we're sinful and he's sinless, that's how we're separate from him, but in all of his attributes, he's totally unlike us. So God's goodness is not like we're 5% good and he's 100% good. It's a totally different type of goodness, okay? It's, it's a goodness that's of a totally different kind. It's a holy goodness, right? Or his righteousness. It isn't just that God's several clicks up from us in righteousness. God's righteousness is the fact that he is the standard of righteousness. And our righteousness is a really bad counterfeit. Like a child making $100 bills with crayons. We're like, I have righteousness too. And it's like, no, you don't. God's righteousness is a holy righteousness. And God's love, guys, God's love is a holy love. It's so unlike our love. Our love is so transactional, isn't it? You know, our love is so much dependent on what so that other person does for us. But guys, God's love is such that he loves those who have nothing to offer him. God's love is a holy love. 
And so the Father's holiness is particularly seen in Jesus, right? You look at Jesus' goodness and righteousness and love, and you see in Jesus someone that's not like anyone you've ever known, right? You don't look at Jesus' life and you're like, oh, it's kind of like my Uncle Phil. It's like, no, you don't know anyone like him. His goodness and righteousness and holiness and his love is so different. Isn't that the kind of life you want? When you read about Christ, it's like, don't you want to be like him? And not just do the things he did, but to think the way he thought and to feel for people the way he feels. That's his holiness. And and the thing is, guys, by definition, it's not attainable, right? If it's holiness, we can't do it. We can't like work our way up to get as holy as Jesus, right? And uh, we can't attain it. But here's the amazing thing. In verse 10, now let's read it again. He wants to share his holiness with us. Isn't that amazing? Now that you think about what holiness is, he wants to share his holiness with us. It's amazing. The Father has a plan to make us just like his holy son, to share his holiness. And that sharing of his holiness involves suffering. Look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that beautiful? The suffering that you're in right now is a part of how we get there. God has the best possible purpose for our suffering, and he knows the best possible way for us to get to that place. So in in adoption, he's made us his sons, but in affliction, he's making us like his son, right? So in adoption, he's already made us his sons, but in affliction, he's making us like his sons. And therefore, as this pastor says, don't grow weary, you know, don't grow faint-hearted. God is treating you as sons, right? He says, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I love that because I just think about like, nothing takes my energy away more than sadness, right? Than grief, than, than suffering, right? Like if you're encouraged, like you got all the energy in the world, you can do anything. And then it's like you get in a place of suffering, you just can't do anything. I just love the image here your drooping hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet that what is lame may not be put out of joint. And so lastly, guys, just briefly, I want to consider Jesus. Because that's what it says in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is such a beautiful thing, and I brag about it all the time, is in Jesus we have a God who knows what it's like to suffer. No other religion has that. People are like, oh, all religions are basically the same. Which shows they like, have not looked at any religions before, right? In Jesus, we have a God who knows what it's like to suffer. No other religion has that, guys. And unlike many of your friends in your life, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to go through what you're going through. Isn't that amazing? God knows. He's been there. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed, to lose a friend, to be misunderstood, to lose all his possessions, to experience the worst kind of dreadful fear, to feel the most intense physical pain, and to be truly abandoned by God. Remember on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All his life, what did Jesus call God? What did he call him? Father. Father. He said, my father, right? He said, my father. He talked about his Abba, right? But on the cross, what did he call him? Not my father, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on the cross, guys, Jesus was abandoned so we could be adopted. Jesus received all the anger our sin deserves so we can receive his everlasting affection. 
Um, he, he was treated as a sinner so we can be sons. And the cross, guys, also is the wisdom of God in suffering. I mean, you think about the cross and you think about like his friend's experience of that day. And if ever there was suffering that seemed utterly senseless, it would have been that day, right? The crucifixion of Jesus. This would have seemed entirely senseless to his friends. What good could possibly come of this, right? That's what his friends would have thought until he rose again, right? And what looked like the most senseless suffering one could ever imagine was actually the greatest display of God's wisdom ever. There was a slight great aha moment when his people saw the wisdom of God and the thing that looked as senseless as that. And I just say, guys, if he can make sense out of that suffering, we can trust him to make sense out of ours. Amen? If we can trust him to make sense out of that suffering, we can trust him to make sense out of ours. And, and the beautiful thing, guys, is now in all of our afflictions, we don't have a distant God somewhere up there, but we have Jesus. He's come to us. He has true compassion as one who's been through everything we've been through. And he comes to us, and he wants to live in us. He comes into us. He fills us. He lives through us. And I just want to plead with you this morning, if you're in suffering, hold on to him. You know, hold on to him. Look at him. You know, consider him. And realize, guys, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Because the beginning of Hebrews said that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So we're going to make it. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you love us as sons, as your son. And uh, we thank you that your love and affection for us is something we can't even fathom. We have no idea how much you love us. We have a faint image of it when we see the way you love your son when he was here and the way you said it is baptism. You know, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, uh, and Lord, we know that you feel that towards us and we know your love in sending your son for us. And, and Jesus, we know your love for us in offering yourself for this, that this was entirely voluntary on your part, that you endured suffering for us to save us to bring an end to our suffering, to make all things new. Lord, we thank you for this. We have the best possible news when we're in the worst possible darkness, and um, we thank you for that. We just pray, Lord, you'd open up the, the pores of our soul and our heart, that you would open it up to receive this, this comfort, this joy, this truth, this meaning, this future, this hope. Lord, fill us with it and make us people that take that hope into the world. In the praise of Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.